If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn uh, to Second Thessalonians chapter 2? Second Thessalonians and chapter 2. We're going to read again from uh, this portion of God's Word from verse 1 through to verse 5. This is continuing on just on our series, For All These Things Must Come to Pass. And uh, this week again, as we were the previous two weeks, we've been looking at the man of sin. This is the third part and the final part just on the man of sin. Hopefully uh, we'll get through it this morning. But Second Thessalonians chapter 2, let's pray as we turn. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so thankful for your presence to be in our midst today. Lord, it is your presence that makes the feast. And as we open your word, we pray for your help. Lord, both your anointing to be upon your word, upon this preacher to preach your word, and upon us to hear. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts, Lord, that are opened, Lord. And we pray, O oh God, that your name will be glorified. We, Lord, are, realize the days in which we live, the time, the times in which we're living. And we pray, O oh God, as we turn to your word, because in your word we'll find every answer. We'll find the truth, Lord, and we pray that give us eyes to understand, eyes that are open and understanding, Lord, as we, Lord, turn to your word. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to breathe upon us, Lord, to give us understanding of your word. And so we ask today, would you help us, Lord? And Lord, above everything, we pray that your name would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said it, amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and then we'll be going over to Daniel chapter 7. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. That's a departure or a defection from the faith. And also that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition or the son of destruction, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. We end the reading of God's word there. Just last week, we started in Daniel chapter 2, and just very quickly, uh, as we looked at that, we seen that there was a starting point in the revelation or the visions or the dreams that were coming to King Nebuchadnezzar, a heathen king, the Babylonian king. And we know and we thank God that God had his people in that kingdom at that time. Those uh, Jewish boys who had been taken exile in the Babylonian captivity. And we read of Daniel and those men that were there that were able to bring an answer in that troubled time. And the king had a dream of a, of a statue. And in that statue we uh, find, or a great image, in that image there was four empires. You'll remember just by way of introduction, if you missed it last week, uh, we see that from Scripture that we're able to interpret that the four empires that Daniel brought the revelation of, one, the first one being the king himself, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. This is your kingdom. So we had a starting point in Scripture. 
And that starting point was the Babylonian Empire. Then also after that, we looked at the next empire, which was the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the Greek Empire. And the last one, which is the important one that we'll look at this morning, was uh, the Roman Empire. And in that Roman Empire, as it was raised up in that time, there would be a stone that is not made with hands that would come. We read it this morning, Brother Peter read it, the stone that the builders rejected. There would be a stone that would strike this image on its feet. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ, the beginning of his ministry, the death and the resurrection of Christ, the power of the cross. It it completely turned that empire upon its head. Uh, These that have come hither have turned the world upside down. And through the preaching of the cross, the power of the cross, we see that as the birth of the church came and the gospel of the kingdom was preached, it hit the Roman Empire right to the very core and began to shake it. We read in Daniel chapter 2 that this would happen in the days of these kings. It wouldn't be something that would be happening away in our time, but it would happen in the days of these empires, Daniel 2 and verse 44. And in that time and in these days, Daniel 2, 44, of these kings, God shall, the God of heaven, the Bible says, shall set up a kingdom. This is God's kingdom, the kingdom of his own dear son, and this kingdom shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand. This is God's kingdom, Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and it shall stand forever and forever. Would you say amen? Praise the Lord. When Jesus began his ministry in Matthew 4 and verse 16 and 17, he began to preach and say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it is near. And so this is the spiritual kingdom, not the physical that is to come, but this is the spiritual kingdom that would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we move in this morning to Daniel chapter 7. And I pray again, would you pray just the Lord would help us, help me, help us just as we turn to God's word. There's a lot of pictures here. There's a lot of uh, very nearly fantasiful Uh, descriptions of images that are very difficult to grasp uh, exactly what is being said. And by the grace of God, we'll, we'll seek where we don't know, we'll leave it. And where there's some options, we'll bring all the options to you. And I'll, I'll share with you what I believe myself, but I know there might be differences and that's okay. Isn't it okay to just have a diversity? But we'll look at this. And the reason why it's important, I can have your attention just for a moment. The reason why these things are important Does this really matter? This really does matter. And the reason why it really matters is because the origin of the man of sin and the Antichrist system that is now rising rapidly in our generation and every aspect of society, the Antichrist and his world, his system is rising rapidly and is going to have an influence and is having an influence on every single aspect of your life externally. But we know we're part of a kingdom that can never be destroyed. But we need to know and understand from God's word. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a dream. This is Daniel this time. It parallels the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And in this time, there's four beasts rather than, than the empires or the kingdoms that he's seen before. Now, there's a couple of thoughts on these four beasts. Some believe that there are four nations that will be represented in the last days that will be uh, will rise up. 
My personal opinion is that the four beasts of Daniel 7 is a description of the four kingdoms that that have already been talked about in Daniel chapter 2. So that's where, where we'll go this morning. But the vision comes with the four winds of heaven that come up out of the great sea and rise. And these great empires are raised up. And it says in Daniel 7 verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. Verse 3 says, And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The sea often speaks of the nations of the world. These empires, these beasts that come up out of the sea are are a description of the empires that came. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as of a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Behold, another beast, remember the Medo-Persian, a second like to a burn, raised it itself up on one side. It had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And this I beheld to another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, the beast. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So these are descriptions of those four those first three empires. And then Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. And I saw in the night vision, and this is important, this fourth beast or this fourth empire. I want to get you to focus on the fourth. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, strong, exceedingly. It had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. Now here's some scripture, some words that I want you to follow because these words are are parallel with other scriptures. So when we go to other scriptures, you'll be able to parallel the word of God. It had ten horns. So remember that this morning. Daniel 7 and 8, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn. Now that little horn's important because that little horn is the Antichrist. We'll come to that in a moment. So the fourth beast, we see here ten horns, and we see this little horn that comes. Before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that speaks great thing. Now we see it. It is now in flesh. We see it as a man. It has eyes, and it speaks with great words. These represent the nature of the kingdoms. In Daniel 7, 17, if you go on down a little bit, it says there, these are great beasts, which are four. Then Daniel tells us here, and are four kings. So the beasts are kings that represent empires which shall arise out of the earth. Now before we go to the interpretation, because as we read this, sometimes it's so descriptive and so awful. I mean, we're reading here of a fourth beast This is on this planet, it's not somewhere else, that is dreadful, terrible, strong, great iron teeth, devours, breaks in pieces, stamp the residue at the feet of it. This is a a reality, this manifests itself on the planet that we're living in. This actually takes place, it has and it is taking place. But before we come to the interpretation, Daniel 7 and verse 18, I just want to encourage you just, This is our starting point, really. This is what we hold to. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom. This is God's kingdom forever, even forever and forever. 
We are possessors of the kingdom of God. Not just for time, but forever and forever and forever and forever. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9, Daniel sees something quite wonderful and quite remarkable. He beheld till the thrones are cast down. In other words, the empires and the systems and the kingdoms of this world, every single one of them, he sees this wonderful vision that all the kingdoms of the world are all cast down. Why are they cast down? Because the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and praise the Lord, his wheels as burning fire. Who are we talking about? We're talking here, Daniel sees right to the very end. He sees when Christ comes in all his glory and all his power and all his majesty as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and all the kingdoms of this world, kings and presidents, will all be cast down before his feet. That's the kingdom that we're a part of. This kingdom, it will know no end. The parallel, if you just want to hold your Bible there and go in to Revelation 1 verse 13, because we see the picture here that Daniel's seen, and John then is caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, you remember, and Revelation 1 and 13, he sees this wonderful picture just before the revelation of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he says in Revelation 1.13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, he sees one like the Son of Man. One was he clothed, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of fire and his feet like unto fine brass, and they burned in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel's seen it. Daniel's seen the end, and all the rise of these empires, kingdoms, this antichrist world. Brothers and sisters, there's an end to all of this. When Christ comes, and all the kingdoms of this world will be brought to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you glad to be saved? The fourth Beast and the truth concerning it back in Daniel chapter 7 verse 19. Daniel particularly wants to know about the fourth beast. Then I would know, he says, Daniel 7 19, the truth. I want to know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron. And his nails of brass which devoured, breaking pieces, stamped the residue. I want to know the truth about this. That's what Daniel said. And it says in verse 20, And of the ten horns that were on his head or in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn which had eyes and a mouth that speak very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld... And the same horn, look at this, and the same horn made war with the saints. We are in a warfare. Do you know that, brothers and sisters? We are actually in a warfare. It's not flesh. It is not blood. It is principalities, and it is powers. We are in a warfare. These will make war with the saints. 
Praise God that there's a war. We're engaged in warfare, spiritual, not in the flesh and the blood, nationalities or people or flags or anything, but we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. Daniel 7, verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Can I ask you just to remind yourselves, what was the fourth kingdom, Daniel chapter 2? What's the fourth kingdom, Daniel chapter 7? It's the Roman Empire. So this is important this morning. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, tread it down, break it in pieces, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. Now remember, ten horns, ten kings. And another shall arise after them, and it shall be diverse from the first. It shall subdue three of the kings, or three of the horns shall be plucked up. Many believe that there are three nations that will, three empires that will come subsequently from the Roman Empire that will be subdued by this uh, little horn. And then it says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. And look again at the warfare that's engaged here. And we know we looked at it in the first uh, week. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He's going to, the, the end time unleashing of spiritual attack against the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, will be to wear out the saints. That's the warfare, to wear you out, to tire you out, all the troubles, trials, tribulations, difficulties, and all the despair and everything that's happening in us and around this world is to try to wear out the saints of the Most High God. To wear you down. You'll not deny the Lord because you love Jesus. You walk with Jesus. We sing about the old rugged cross. We hear about the blood. We break bread together. We keep it simple for that reason because all that thrills our souls is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And so we keep it centered upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to worship Jesus. The gathering of God's people is unto Jesus Christ. But then the warfare is to wear you out. That's what the Bible says. To wear out the saints of the Most High God. And to think to change the times and the laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of a time. This is the work of the Antichrist. That is to change the times. To change the laws. Anybody live in a world that's being changed. It's not the personalities, the politics, or the political parties that we so much have to worry about. It's the spirit of Antichrist that is behind that. I, I listened to a great message, an old message yesterday afternoon by David Wilkerson, one of the old ones way back in the 90s, Satan's strategy in the end times. What an amazing message. But what a truth it is, and if, I suppose if the brother was alive today, much of what he preached was prophetic, and even what he said, it is just maybe a hundred times worse than what he prophesied it would be. But he said that Satan owns it all. He owns all the, the political systems. He owns all the medias, the social medias, the television networks. Everything is inspired by and motivated by and driven by an antichrist system which is absolutely satanic at the core of it. This is antichrist. 
He says, and another shall come. Now, where does it come from? The ten horns, three are plucked up. The little horn, it's coming from that fourth empire. What's the fourth empire? Just to remind ourselves again, the Roman Empire. We shall see from the fourth kingdom, ten horns, three plucked up. And what comes forth is a little horn originating from this empire, which is Antichrist. Now, as you go to the end of Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 1. Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 1. And here we read as it comes to the close of Daniel and comes to the close of his life. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. What? we understand is that in the last moments of time, and I do believe we're living in the last of the last days, but in the last of the last days, there's going to be a season of trouble. Jesus called it the beginning of sorrows, that the world will enter into a time of great distress that it has never seen before. Such as never that there was a nation even to that time. And everyone shall... And it says, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that should be found written in the book. There's a name written down in heaven, praise the Lord, and it's mine. I'm just glad my name's in the book this morning. And those names that are in the book, they're going to be delivered. Praise the Lord. He's a great deliverer. And he's going to deliver his people. He's going to come for his bride. And so we see that Many of them that sleep here is a wonderful prophecy concerning the end time judgment. There's only two types of people in this room. Those that are, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're saved by the grace of God, born again of the Spirit. And those that have rejected Jesus, they're lost. This is what Daniel says. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some the everlasting life and some the shame and everlasting contempt. Then he says in verse 3, And they that be wise, who are the wise? Those that have got oil in their lamps. You know the wee chorus says, Give me oil in my lamp. What? Keep us burning. Isn't it simple? But it's true. Lord, keep oil in our lamps. Keep us wise. Keep our faces shining. Give us the wisdom not from the earth, but that which is the heavenly. They'll shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, now listen, verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. In other words, what he's saying is there'll be a covering of these prophetic revelations right up until the last days. Then there'll be a revealing of everything of what what is about to happen on this earth. Even to the time of the end. Then he says these words, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So he indicates to us what the time of the end is like. He's speaking of the time of the end, when that which was sealed, or it's the revelation of what Daniel's seen, the prophetic revelation that was going to be unfolding and revealed to the church in the last times. It'll be a time when people will be running to and fro, and there'll be an increase of knowledge, those two things. Now, there's two 
as schools here, right in what we're saying, some believe the term to and fro simply means like when you hear or read off the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. It's a, it's a searching thing. Men and women will be searching in the last days. They'll be searching for an answer. They'll be searching for happiness. They'll be searching to find something in this world to satisfy the emptiness of their lives. They'll be looking in every word to try and find some type of, of, of appeasement to the, the desires of their flesh. They'll go here, they'll try this this religion, that religion, this religion, that religion. They'll they'll listen to all the different type of philosophies and ideas and ideologies that have flooded the world because they're trying to find something. They're searching for an answer. And so we see the tune of throwing the searching. Some believe that this is people that in the last days will genuinely come and search the scriptures to find the truth. I go along with the second explanation and I believe that there'll be a to and fro in this planet like this world has never seen. And there'll be an increase in knowledge, not uh, scriptural knowledge, but there'll be an increase generally in this world. Now this world is never... We are living in a day of the advancement of technology that you can't keep up with it. Your phone is old the day you walk out of the shop. Your car is old the day you walk out of the showroom. Because the advancement of technology has been startling and it's very difficult. I've seen a photograph of my grandfather, Grandin McElrath, and he's standing, and some of you older ones would probably know more about this as your grandfathers or fathers. He's standing uh, with a horse in a pony and trap. That was his mode of transport. That wasn't that long ago. Anybody remember it? Joe remembers. It's not that long ago. Joe's not an old man. He's not that long ago that he remembers that the mode of transport was a horse and a trap. Think about it. I know if you're young and you're born in a generation, cars, airplanes, everything else. Really? I mean, was that cavemen back then? What has happened in a hundred years is remarkable. In one hundred years, it's truly remarkable. Does anybody know when the first car was invented? And who invented it? And there's a big clue this morning because we have visitors from this country. Very close, Joe, because they went together afterwards. It was a man, he was a German. It was a man, yes. His name was Benz. Anybody heard of Mercedes-Benz? 1885. The first telephone call, I love this, was made on March the 10th, 1876. You know, that's why we still say, we'll give you a bell. What's his name? Alexander Graham Bell. We'll give you a bell. That's where it comes from. 1870. Do you know what he said? He demonstrated his ability to talk with electricity, transmitting a call to his assistant, who was Thomas Watson. The first words transmitted to Mr. Watson were this. Hold on, somebody's at the door. No, it wasn't out there. It was, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. Can you believe it that I could walk down Main Street? Not that I know anything about this, but I know you can't do this. But I could walk down Main Street in Balnehins today and FaceTime someone walking down a Main Street in Berlin or a Main Street 
in anywhere in the United States, and I can look at their face and talk to them as I'm walking. The advancement of technology, there'll be an explosion of knowledge. Has it not happened in our day? It's hard. You know, our grandfathers wouldn't believe what we're doing today. The first light bulb was Thomas Edison in 1879, first tractor 1892, and the first flight by the Wright brothers was in 1903. Know how long it lasted? 59 seconds. No jet lag. Look at us today. Look at what they're doing. Look at the advancement of technology. The times of the end would be marked by an explosion of knowledge. It's frightening what's happening. Actually, some of it is so sinister as well. Where they're taking it to and what they're doing, it's frightening. Daniel said people will run to and fro and there'll be an explosion or an increase of knowledge. When has that happened? It's happened in our generation. For hundreds of years previous to that, the mode of transport was a donkey or a horse right up until about a hundred years ago. And suddenly it's all dramatically changed and this knowledge has completely exploded. And at the times of the end, there'll be a revelation of the end times and what's about to happen. That is what's taking place today. The Antichrist will rise and burst forth. You'll find him if we go to the parallel scriptures now in Revelation chapter 13 and then Revelation chapter 17. I want to read just some verses this morning and make some points as we go through it. But you'll pick up as we go through this the parallel scriptures and the continuity of scripture to understand what's taking place. Revelation 13, John the Apostle again has been caught up by the Spirit. In Revelation 13 and verse 1 it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and now he sees a beast rise up out of the sea. Now remember the language. Having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. So you see the parallels with the fourth beast. In Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, you see the parallel scriptures. Ten horns upon the head, and upon his head the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw, like unto a leopard, his feet were as unto the feet of a bird, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon... And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, who is the dragon? Who is the dragon? It's the devil. Thank you, Joe. The devil gives the power, the power to the Antichrist system. It is absolutely driven by the devil himself. It is completely satanic. The power that the Antichrist is given for this time is completely driven by the powers of darkness. And I saw one of his heads that were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And as the world wandered after the beast, they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in the heaven. Some believe that the great wound was the Reformation. Some believe that. Some believe that that was the great wound that it received. 
Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. Now beheld then he sees a second beast coming out of the earth. Now look at this because this is really, really important because you'll find many times in the teachings of Christ and in the epistles that we're warned not to be deceived. But look at this second beast. He had two horns and he was like a lamb. He was like a lamb. The lamb, of course, we know that the lamb, John said in John 1.29, Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here's a beast that looks like a lamb. Here's the deception that will come in the last days. You know, it's so important. Again, I quote just from the message that I listened to yesterday, but Brother Wilkinson just mentioned that when the church becomes so carnal, so natural, because the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit. And when a congregation are natural, and when the preacher at the front becomes a natural man, then that congregation and that preacher can't receive the things of the Spirit. And that then means that a whole, he prophesied, that whole congregations and whole denominations would be deceived in the last days. That's how it happens, because the natural man, you remember in Psalm 133 that the The anointing never touches the flesh. It's on the head, it's on the beard, it's on the skirts. That's why we seek the Lord. That's why we pray. You know, no matter how great the flesh is, it's the flesh and it's death. But the anointing comes when we pray and seek the Lord. That's why we need to seek the Lord for for the songs that we sing, for the ministry of music, for the preaching of God's word. That's why we spend the time and set it aside to say, we'll seek the Lord, even though you've Granted us talents and gifts, but unless there's the anointing, we're doing this in our own strength. How we need the anointing. The anointing never comes in the flesh. You know, it doesn't matter how great we are. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It's the anointing that breaks the power of darkness. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of sin. It's the anointing that brings the healing and the deliverance. And so we need to seek the Lord. That takes time. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to come and we need to sit and we need to settle ourselves before we do anything, preach or anything or any ministry in the church of Jesus Christ, anything, teaching children, whatever it is, we need to wait on the Lord. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We need the anointing, brothers and sisters. No matter how advanced this world becomes with all this technology and everything that we have, there's nothing like an old-time anointing. That's what we need, the anointing. And so we see the deception here. As this beast rises, another one come, two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, caused the earth, and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he goeth, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth, by the means of those miracles, supernatural signs, which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Verse 16 says, And he causes both the small, the great, the rich, the poor, the free, the bond. This is where we're heading straight to, very quick and rapidly, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understand count the number of the beast for the number of a man, 666, 666. 
You know, years ago, I've said it before, years ago, I think back in the 80s when I was just a wee lad, I can remember preachers coming uh, to my mum and dad and, and, and hearing men bring prophetic insight to the last days, to the mark of the beast. And I can remember as a kid sitting there going, I really don't know what this man's talking about. This actually actually couldn't be real. Could this actually really happen? It didn't seem that it was possible to come to pass. Could I tell you something? That the whole network of this is already sitting ready to go. In the United Kingdom. The banning of, or the lifting off, or the pulling of cash to make us a cashless society is what the whole digital age is actually being driven to. But it's going to be so easy for you. Just chip and pin. Do you just want to go contact us? Oh, sure, no problem. You want a receipt? No, that's no problem. Isn't it easy? It is convenient if you're standing with four or five bags of shopping. I've seen my wife do it with her card in the mouth and go, there you go, and she's away. <laughs> Isn't it easy? We're going to make it so easy for you. You don't need to worry about having cash. Just we're, here, take your phone, Google it, bump, you're away. Just like that. Did you ever imagine that we come to such a day? Did you ever think, think about it for a moment, even those that are, that are old in the congregation? It is a remarkable thing what they've been able to do in such a short space of time. We're going to make it so much easier for you that, listen, you'll not need to have your card. What we'll do for you, and it's already happening in many parts of the world, we'll just insert something just in between your finger and your thumb, and you just come in, zip, the door opens. Hey, it's easy. It's great. It's so convenient. Do you know what that is, brothers and sisters? You know, the Bible was written thousands of years ago, but it's absolutely bang up to date. Absolutely, totally up to date. And so we see here the rise of these two beasts. Seven heads, ten horns. Now again, I want to read for a few moments. We're coming to an end just in a few minutes. If you give me another ten minutes, just I, I need to, to bring us to where I believe right up to where we are. We've been trying to move through it, but Revelation chapter 17 Revelation chapter 17, we're going to begin to read from verse 1. And it says here, And there came one of the seven angels which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the, great, the judgment of the great whore. Now the great whore is a counterfeit church. It's a counterfeit religion. It's a counterfeit Christianity. A great whore that sits upon many waters, the waters of the people of the earth, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, the inhabitants of the herd, the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw this woman. Now he sees her. He's in the spirit. He sees the woman. And she's sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast. She's on this beast. Remember, where does the beast get his power from? The beast gets his power from the dragon. Remember, it's a, it's a hell-driven thing. It's out of the bottomless pit, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember, seven heads, there's the ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet color, decked with gold, precious stones, pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations, the filthiness of her fornication. And upon the, her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. And I saw 
the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. This is a system that is systematically slaughtered from the fourth empire right through the generations, year after year, century after century, generation after generation has slaughtered our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are drunk with the blood of the martyrs. They're drunk with their blood. They have slaughtered them in their tens of millions. Isn't it a remarkable thing? I find it totally remarkable that today that we find you can understand presidents, queens, and all the rest of it all flocking to St. Peter's Square. But isn't it a remarkable thing to see preachers in the charismatic movement, to see worship leaders, all the contemporary worship leaders, check them out. Most of them are running over to St. Peter's Square. We're going to play you a song. Can you imagine if I said, here's the devil. He's sitting here. Would you play him a wee song? Just to keep him entertained. It's true, by the way. Mystery Babylon the Great. Drunk. A woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs. They reckon something like 68 to 70 million born-again believers were slaughtered by the Roman Catholic Church. The church, the system now. I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carrieth her of the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which thou sawest which sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the... Where does the beast come? The bottomless pit shall go into destruction and they that dwell on the earth shall wander. His names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind that has wisdom. People with revelation that have the oil that God gives the ability to see. The seven heads are the seven mountains upon which the woman sitteth. Now where is that? Thank you, Joe. That's exactly where it is. I drove into Balamina the other day, the seven towers. It's not Balamina. <laughs> Rome is built on seven hills. That's, that's, a, that's a fact. That's an undisputable fact. There are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and yet there's another to come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. The beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and of the seventh that goeth into destruction. The ten horns which they seen are ten kings which have no kingdom but have power. Many believe, I do believe it, that this is a financial power and this is a financial, a political power that will give the strength and the ability to that harlot system. I want to tell you the most wealthiest system in this world because nobody knows how much it's worth is the Vatican. They might have the Vatican system might have, uh, what, what would you say, try to re represent itself in a completely different light in these days. They say they're more evangelical. Can I say something, and I mean this, the Antichrist is not Catholic people. Do you understand that? The tragedy of our country, and I, I, I do feel I need to say this, but the tragedy in our country, we have, we have linked the truth of what that system was, but we have, we have handcuffed it to a political ideology. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So that you must, yes, you're part of the Antichrist. You are the Antichrist. But you must be a Protestant and join the the Orange Order, be in a band and kick the Pope, and then you're going to be saved. And uh, brothers and sisters, you might think, well, that's a bit. I'm going to tell you something. That was the mindset that was in this country. And shame on us for that. That might offend Many people out there, but I'm going to tell you, it's a shameful thing. The gospel does not mix with anything. It's the gospel for every man and woman. So the Catholic person is not the Antichrist. You need to make sure of that. But the system is rotten to the very core. It is rotten. These have one mind, verse 13, and they give their power and their strength to the beast. And they'll make war with the Lamb. But praise the Lord, the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and they that are with him. And I tell you something, friends. I tell you who we're with this morning. We're with Jesus. That's who I'm with this morning. I'm with Jesus Christ. That's who I'll march for, Jesus Christ. I used to march for King Billy, but I march for Jesus today. They have one mind. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. And they that are called with him, they are with him Know what you are? You're called, you're chosen, and he calls us to be faithful. That's the sum total of our life. Called, chosen, and faithful. Now this morning, just as we close, right back in that fourth empire, right back at the embryo stage, you know, they say, they claim that Peter was the first pope. He wasn't the first pope. It's just a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It's part of the deception. But right in the early stages of that fourth empire, you've seen a great conflict between the church of Jesus Christ within that Roman empire. Remember, God had birthed his church within that system. That church was rising up in the glorious power of the Holy Ghost, preaching the gospel with signs and wonders following. That was the preaching of the gospel in the first century church. We see right in the very early stages of this, Even as we come to Revelation chapter 2, we see there a church at Pergamos. And if you just note that church in Pergamos, when the message comes to the messenger, it says the angel, but the Strongs tells us by implication that was the pastors of the churches that the message came to, that they would deliver that message. That's what Strongs tell us. And so the message would come to the church at Pergamos. Here was a faithful man of God at Pergamos. His name was Antipas. It's in the Bible, Revelation 2 and 12. And here we see him, and this church was at the very, at the very uh, foot of Satan's seat. What a place to plant a church. Praise the Lord. At the seat of Satan. Pergamos. Here is Antipas, the faithful bishop, the faithful servant of the Lord. If you read the history books, this is what it tells us. Antipas shook the very kingdom of Satan. The demon-possessed priests of the temples of that time in Pergamos, they had healing temples, to uh, faith healers, and all the rest of that we have today. They came and complained to the emperor that in their dreams, demons were coming and visiting them, telling them, you need to get rid of Antipas. He keeps casting out devils and healing the sick in the name of Jesus. Do something with Antipas. 
Well, the pagan priests went to the emperor and complained that the prayers of Antipas were driving the spirits out of the city, hindering the worship of their gods as punishment to govern. Now, here you see the very early stages of a, a formation or a drive to compromise. Compromise. That is the dilution, diluting the truth. I, I ask you a question. How much poison has to be in this glass for you to drink it? How much would you take? What about a wee bit? You wouldn't even dream of it. You can't mix the gospel of Jesus Christ even a little bit. And many are taking a wee bit and saying it's okay, but that's the first road to compromise and the Spirit of God departing or the glory of the Lord leaving. And so the punishment the governor called Antipas and said to him, for Antipas to offer a sacrifice of wine and incense to a statue of the Roman emperor and declare that the emperor, listen, this is so important, declare that the emperor was Lord and God. Those that are called and chosen and faithful like Antipas, Antipas refused. In AD 92, the faithful martyr, as recorded in God's word, died a holy burnt sacrifice on the altar in Pergamon, on the seat of Satan. The book of Revelation calls it the throne of Satan. They brought him up to the seat of Satan. At this present time, the actual seat of Satan was brick by brick dismantled, and it's brought to Berlin, and it's in the museum in Berlin. You can go and see the very seat of Satan that they had instructed on that seat, a bronze hollow uh, bull was there, and because he refused, they put you inside the, the bull, shut the door, and put a fire underneath it, and they burn or roast the faithful martyr of God on that altar, the seat of Satan. He stood for Christ. He would not compromise. He was faithful, chosen and called of God. And wouldn't move an inch. The emperor, of course, you know, it tells us actually in the history books, as he groaned, they rejoiced in the spectacle. You know, one day, Antipas will be at the throne with countless millions of others, including you and I this morning, worshiping Jesus. The emperor, you call me Lord and God, was known as Pontifex Maximus. The Latin of that simply means the greatest pontiff. You tie it together here. The greatest pontiff. The tragic mystery of Roman paganism and Christianity formed the Roman Catholic Church under Constantine when he brought the two together. You'll not defeat this church. You'll not beat this church. You may slaughter them, imprison them, and you may boot them in bulls. You may chop their heads off. You may set them alight at the stake as they've done for hundreds of years, but you'll never defeat it. But if we can get them to compromise, that's the Trojan horse. And so Constantine, has there been any compromise? Constantine unified the Roman Empire by merging paganism and Christianity 
declared himself to be the vicar of Christ. Anybody familiar with these terms? The pontiff. And so his converts were given great positions of authority and brought their pagan rights and gods into the church. Now of that has been born what we know as the Roman Catholic Church, or could I say system, because it's a system. So then what they did was they created councils and they began to exalt their traditions and their councils above that, which is the precious word of truth. So today, the Pope, the tradition of the church, and the Bible have co-equal authority. So that means that if we're going to set up idols and get people to pay for them and pay their way into heaven, and all the idolatry that's going to come in to the, to the system of the Roman Catholic Church, how are we going to get around? For example, we heard on Thursday morning from a, a man who was born a Catholic, who's not saved, and said he would come tonight, pray that he does. But how are we going to get around some of these scriptures? We'll change it. Because we have the authority to change God's word. God, forgive us that we can change God's word. And so that's why today it's been changed to accommodate that you can go in and you can kneel as some precious saints here today have been born out of that Roman Catholic system. You can kneel before a statue and pray to a dead statue. We have come to a living God this morning. He's not a statue, not a bit of wood. He's alive. This man of sin. You'd think with all the tremors, all the political scandals, all the pedophile scandals, all the rottenness that's been booked out in this earth in the last 20 years, surely that would be the end of it. I tell you, if it was Microsoft, it'd be closed and gone forever. But not this system. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, what we need to do. We should pray and pray for these precious people that are lost in darkness all across the island of Ireland that have been held captive to a religious system and it has been shaken to the very core. But you know the tragedy? The church has been asleep and should have been going in with the gospel of Jesus Christ before they get swamped in with all the other muck in the mess that's sweeping across the earth. We need to pray, perhaps even, there's three German men here this morning, maybe there's another Martin Luther that would rise up in this hour and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and would not bow or not bend to the compromise of our day. Perhaps, friends, that the church would awaken to the real spiritual battle that we're in, the warfare, the powers of darkness, the Antichrist world, and most of the church are asleep and compromised, backslidden, not concerned with the lost world, not really concerned. Oh God, would you awaken us to the day that we've come, we would be wise. Give us oil in our lamps, give us understanding. Awaken us from self-centeredness, from living for ourselves, our own ideas, our own agendas, our own things. God, awaken us. The power of the cross, the name of Jesus Christ, the sword of the Spirit, that's all a Christian needs. That's it, brothers and sisters. This is rising rapidly all around us. Rapidly. Listen, it's affecting every aspect of our world, every aspect of our society, every aspect, our young generation. Let me tell you something. 
A lot of things are made light of. Or, 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 you know, maybe they're over the top or he's over the top. Or maybe that's not, maybe that's not the way it is. You know, we're just being rocked, slowly eased into a place of just, well, this is just the way it is. And now we see the Antichrist system, the world, the devil, everything against the church and the saints of God, destroying churches, destroying homes, destroying marriages, trampling all over. And for the most part, our prayer meetings are empty or quiet. Don't pray. We don't seek the Lord. We don't get up early. We don't have time with the Lord. This is not legalism. This is another deception that's come into the church that the church should be in prayer and meeting together and praying and seeking the Lord and making prayer and crying out to God. When the church begins to intercede, the power of the Holy Ghost comes again. Brothers and sisters, we are here to proclaim the victory of Jesus against all the powers of darkness. So that's the world we're in, rapidly changing. But praise the Lord, there's a mighty deliverer. His name's Jesus. Those that are called are chosen. Lord, we want to be faithful. Just make us faithful men and women. But let us pray for a lost world. I I, I still believe this. You know, when we were in in India, many times preaching the gospel wide open, people responded all over the place to the gospel. But I tell you, it's a very difficult thing to someone who's been entrenched in that Roman Catholic system, for them to be able to flee from the works, to simply put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's so difficult. They still feel they have to do something. Well, I'll go and, listen, I'll come to church, I'll buy a suit. Many times have you heard that? If I come to church, I'll do that. It's all the outward, because they're indoctrinated with this system that's absolutely dreadful. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. You believe that? Would you say amen? amen? Praise the Lord. May God help us to bring the gospel with the spirit of Christ, with the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, fill us again to reach this world, to pray for this world and to reach this world for Jesus. Let's stand together this morning.